Welcome to the Smarter Trading Podcast. If you want to sharpen your trading skills or become a more savvy investor, then you're in the right place. Every week, we sit down with professional traders who are ready to share practical insights on what it takes to succeed in modern day markets. Smarter Trading, the show to watch to trade smarter. Medeiros is the founder and CEO of The Trade Risk. All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Evan or The Trade Risk. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Evan and guests may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is Gregory Krupinski. Greg has been trading markets for about 20 years, all while working a full-time job, raising kids, and continuing to find time to learn and improve his process. In this episode, we talk about having balance, juggling real-life responsibilities with actively trading markets, and how Greg makes it happen. He stresses the importance of keeping things simple, using daily and weekly charts, and how fewer but slightly bigger position sizes help him focus and really pay attention to what he owns. Please enjoy this conversation with swing trader Gregory Krupinski. You've been trading for over 20 years, which means you've probably get started at a fairly young age. So tell me a little bit about your background and sort of how you get started. My start in the markets, my interest game, I was probably really little, probably eight to 10 years old. And I used to like the Boston Celtics. And at the time they were a publicly traded company. So my dad bought uh, me one share of the Boston Celtics and they actually sent the physical stock certificate. So I had that hung up in my room and then I could have my buddies over and say, hey, I, I actually own, I not only like the Boston Celtics, I own them. There's a certificate to prove it. <laughs> so I think that kind of awesome. got me interested. And then like, you know, in high school, I started to become more and more interested because like a lot of people, I thought, well, hey, this is going to be easy. I just need to get a job, save some money, invest in some stocks and then make a ton of money and be set. <laughs> so 20 years later, I'm still trying to figure that one out, but uh, <laughs> it's a process. Still on that yeah, path. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I was in like the late nineties, the tech boom, I was, I was trading then in an account. I was, you know, high school age and no clue what I'm doing. I'm looking for, I probably could have just thrown a dart at some tech stock and made some money, but I'm looking for like stocks with the lowest PE ratio and, thinking I found the secret just by undervalued companies. And then, you know, you're paying $15 commission each way. We're so lucky now not to have commissions. It's a whole different, you can trade a whole different way. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm buying really small dollars and paying all the commissions. So long story short, you know, it's just a slow drip on the money as you <laughs> look for new opportunities and spend those commissions. So um, not a very good start. And then probably about 15 or 10 or 15 years ago, I started getting more into, um, cause I'm a, uh, I'm a CPA, I'm an accountant. So I was kind of had the financial background. So I, I was into looking at companies, financial statements and trying to uncover opportunities, which is all well and good, but there's something missing, I think, especially from a risk management perspective. And, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, I started getting into charts and I'm like, I, I love this. It's all these millions of people all over the world buying and sh selling shares of stock and it all shows up on this chart and you can and you can see it it's just like the neatest thing to me so ever since then i've just been kind of hooked on looking at charts and you know different ways of you know different time frames 
uh, you know, I've like a lot of people I've gone through using tons of different indicators and, you know, you always think you find the Holy grail, like, Oh, if I use this moving average and this uh, 10 period RSI instead of 14, I'm, I'm all set. But as you know, there's, there is no secret <laughs> out there. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, totally not. But we often have to learn it the hard exactly. way, right? We all have to experiment yeah. and test. So, you, you know, you were trading during, during the craze of, of, of the tech nineties, but you didn't, it sounds like you didn't get wrapped too much into the euphoria and then the subsequent sort of crash. Cause you were kind of going at your own yeah. pace. It was just a small, you know, a small account and I wasn't looking at those yeah. tech companies. So it was really, that was really before I got, you know, more into it. Gotcha. So it didn't discourage you at all, or you didn't have any bad experience leaving that kind of boom and bust cycle. It You were just kind of continuing to learn pretty much through it. Exactly. Um, now during the house, yeah. housing crash, you know, in that period, yeah. I was a little more into it and, you know, I was trading, you know, retirement accounts and, and things like that. So that one, left more of a mark. I think at that point I, I avoided a lot of the downside, but then, and I, and to this day, I still kind of struggle like with the COVID, um, you know, when things go down, I, I'm really hesitant to trust it again. Um, so I think that kind of, that, that one kind of left a mark, I think. And then every time, you know, like a lot of people do every time we'd start going higher, I, you know, for every, for every top in the market, I probably thought there was going to be 50, you know, I, I just, it was just a poor mindset rather than focusing on what's actually happening in the process. But that was kind of hard to shake. Being a new trader, getting started, you know, your eyes are, are so, so big, wide open, and you got all these grand visions of, of, you know, making all this money. But the truth is, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a good blessing that if you're starting young as a trader, you don't have much money because those beginning years just statistically are probably not going to go so well. So it's like such a good thing that you can kind of, again, have a smaller account, during this this crazy cycle um, and then, you know, helps helps you see the power of markets and then it helps you sort of grow and stick with the market, grow your account. So it sounds like you, you know, you had a good, you, you know, you had a good sort of entry um, timing wise kind of into everything. So bringing you up to sort of current day, what is like, how would you describe your approach now? What is your framework present day for sort of tackling markets? I try to keep things as simple as possible. I try to look at, you know, different timeframes. I'll look at, you know, longer term timeframes. I get a lot of ideas from there, but then I'm going to enter on a shorter term timeframe daily. And then Sometimes if I really like an idea, especially if it's a little, you know, a little stretched on the weekly or daily, I'll, I'll, I'll get in, uh, you know, to the interday 30 minute time frame. Um, because what I want to see is I'm not going to enter anything that's not coming out of some kind of consolidation. Um, I'm not, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. A lot of people do it and do it successfully. But if, if we're looking at a weekly chart and something's, you know, breaking, it's a, it's a breakout. I play a lot of breakouts. Uh, if it's breaking out, you know, to a new high, but it's already ran up, you know, 15, 20 percent in the last couple of weeks, that's not going to interest me because what I want to see in a chart is the first the first thing I look at is where's my stop going to be? Where am I wrong? And if it's just going straight up, then it's it's really hard to to find that. And I have found usually if it's not obvious after looking at it for, you know, 20 seconds, then it's probably time to pass and move on to the next one. I trade two accounts. So one account I kind of use. Uh, relative strength a lot, um, you know, over the last six to nine months, I'll look at that. And then uh, I trade mostly ETFs in that account. So I look for strong sectors or, or industries um, and, 
not surprisingly, this year that account has done a lot uh, better. I, I, I don't trade that one as frequently, but that account's done a lot better than the account that I, you know, more kind of swing trade out of. Uh, like a lot of people lately, I kind of got chopped up quite a bit. A lot of good entries just, you know, didn't <laughs> didn't really follow through. And, you know, I, my risk is always pretty small. I never risk more than uh, a half a percent of my account balance on a trade, which if you have a fairly tight stop, you can still get a pretty big position size. So usually I'm not I'm not even coming close to that. It's kind of just like treading water. You know, you have a couple a good week and then a bad week. So it's kind of been flat, but that the, the slower money account has been uh, better this year. How are you finding these, these stocks? What's the, what's the starting process of what, what gets you to even look at anything in general? Are you scanning or screening for stocks? Yeah, I do. I, I think most of my find just by, by eyeballing them, but I do have some scans that if I'm, you know, the markets, you know, it's been a little choppy lately, but it's still obviously in a, in a clear uptrend longer term. So I'm looking for, uh, stocks that are an uptrend. So I, I'll, I'll just do scans for, you know, stocks that aren't oversold, that are above their, you know, 50, 20, 200 day moving averages, which if you do that now, you're going to get a huge list. You know, I, I kind of try to refine some scans from time to time, but most of the ideas that I find are if, if something catches my eye, but maybe it's a little bit extended, I'll just save it on a, on a watch list. And then I'll check that watch list, you know, daily or during the weekend and then add and delete things as they uh, come to my attention. And, you know, Twitter and stock twits could be good resources too. Um, you know, if somebody posts a chart, you're like, hey, I kind of like that. Um, you don't want to just blindly go out and, and buy it, but maybe, you know, I'll, I, you know, I'll keep my eye on that one. Are you including any, so are you, are you still leveraging any of the, how you came up and then I guess your background, like, are you doing any fundamental sort of criteria or qualifications on anything or is it just a hundred percent technical now? I, I do from time to time. Um, like I'll run some screens on, on Finviz to look at, um, you know, sometimes like earnings growth or just, you know, like value stocks have been making a, a nice run lately. So just, just to kind of I, generate ideas, but um, none of that is actionable unless the chart's setting up, but I do, I do sure. run them, um, just out of interest and maybe to get some good ideas, but yeah, to, to me, it means nothing unless the chart setup's there. Gotcha. And then, I mean, so yes, we're recording this in May of 2021 and it's been, it's been a tough past few weeks for, for momentum growth, sort of high beta stocks. They've sort of been pulling back for the past month or two or if not pulling back, certainly chopping around and doing a whole lot of nothing. So lots of false breakouts. I'd imagine, you know, there's lots of candidates right now, or there's lots of potential setups for you. I mean, how many, how many positions would you fit into a portfolio? What's, what's a hundred percent, you know, if you're a hundred percent long full go the market, is that 10 positions? Is it 20? Is it five? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Cause that's something that I really, um, switched up from the past. So Probably about 10 to 20 um, would be where I'd want to be. But what I've done in the past that I found is doesn't help me at all. And I'm guilty of this last year, too. It's one of those things like in in trading, you know, you shouldn't do something, but you sometimes you just find yourself doing it. Um, I mean, discipline is so important. You just got to make sure you don't get hurt too bad if you're doing that. But, you know, like last year when there's so many things moving, it's like you're in something that's working. And be like, well, I like this better, so I'm just going to sell part of that, use the funds to do that, and then before before I know it, I have you know 30 positions that it, it just it just doesn't work for me. Um, mm-hmm. And more more often than not, you know, the things that I sell will I, 
I, in one of the um, charts that we could go over later is, you know, sometimes I'll sell because something else might look attractive and there's really no good reason to sell. It's still making lower, you know, higher highs and higher lows. So it's like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, mm -hmm. So I was spread way too thin, I think, um, in the past, but ideally, I think about 10 to 15 positions. That's a nice solid number. And especially, yeah, to, to, to do it, to do it purely manual for the most part, it's, that's like a healthy number. And, and I think it's almost back to what you said earlier of less is more, right? Trying to keep things as simple as possible of, you know, sometimes I get these ideas too, where it's like, yeah, you know, I could sell like one fifth of, of all these stocks and then inch into something else. It'll diversify me more, but then it's like, you know, it's so complicated and then I have to think about it. Like it's, so yeah, I, I a hundred percent agree. Um, you know, kind of the 10 to 15 spot, is really a sweet spot because you can have a good size in those yeah. stocks and each each position does make sort of a meaningful you know uh appreciation to the account when things go in the right direction so i think that is you know a really solid number for a lot of swing you know a lot of swing traders in this sort of time frame and so speaking of time frame though what is what would you estimate your average sort of hold time is in some of these stocks it varies uh ideally if it's working is as long as it's still working. <laughs> um, but usually what, what I like to do, if, if I go into a position with, with a full, full size position, if it goes up, I mean, I hate to put percentage terms on it because it depends on the setup, but say it goes up, you know, five to 10%, um, I will sell a part of it. Now I, what I used to do is always sell half of the position. And I found out that kind of led to my problem of getting spread too thinly because I have all these half positions and quarter positions that were trending and then I just have way too much. Um, yeah. So I'll sell a little bit just to kind of make sure that I end up profitable in the trade. If you sell a little bit at a 5% gain, maybe bump your initial stop up a little bit um, just to make sure that that doesn't go under the red. And again, like I talked about without, without having commissions, this is so nice because you can sell, you can sell two shares if you want. It doesn't matter, but you know, I'll sell maybe no more than a third and then just kind of let it work. Right. So it sounds like the, the remaining position, you, you sort of turn into a bit of a trend follower on that. Like you, you just want to see that sucker go and hopefully never have to sell it. Exactly. Yep. That, that's the idea. Yeah. I mean, I found in my sort of research, uh, going through, you know, lots of different back tests and sort of playing in a, in a similar kind of time frame on one of my trading systems and, you know, objectively to maximize profit, it's, it is, it's trying to get that position to just totally run. But if you don't scale anything based on some of the things that I've seen, if you don't scale anything, it's, it's all the psychological side, you're going to give back a lot at times you're going to you're going to erase profits and you are going to just have to endure an emotionally more difficult sort of roller coaster versus trying to scale a little bit and then like you say it's that hybrid approach of sort of letting the rest run i think that's super smart and just makes it sustainable otherwise it's just so it, difficult exactly yeah if you have a full size on even if it's looking good, if it, you know, if you have to deal with three or four weeks where it pulls back 15, 20% and it's, you know, 10, 15% of your accounts, like, ah, I don't like the way that looks. Um, totally. But, so if you, yeah, if you scale out and book in some profits, that kind of helps, it helps you be more patient too, because yes, I think that's one of the biggest benefits. 
So you are you looking at sort of broad markets first, making sure everything's sort of in check, or are you starting from the bottom and saying, you know, hey, this stock looks great. I'm going to take it. Don't care about what the NASDAQ or the S&P is doing. Yep. More of the second. I, I really, I kind of trade them all on their own merit. Uh, like I said, I do look at relative strength a lot. Um, and I do consider just in general how the market is doing. Um, you know, if even if a stock looks great, if, if the market or sector isn't doing good, if the stock still looks great, I, don't get me wrong, I'm still going to take it if the setup's there. But maybe I'll just take it a little slower, maybe not go full size, maybe start smaller. And if it, you know, continues to work, increase size a little bit. But I, you know, I look at like, you know, relative charts and relative strength and things like that. But in terms of actually trading, I'm just going to trade what's on the screen, what's on the chart and not worry uh, too much about everything else. Because I, you know, I, I find that if you do that too much, at least me personally, you can talk yourself out of a lot of good opportunities. You can kind of get a little gun shy. Um, like if I'm liking, you know, you know, gold, you know, gold is, you know, inversely correlated to the dollar usually, uh, you know, not always those correlations can change. So you don't want to pass on a good trade opportunity just because something else that may or may not impact it is going the other way. I mean, that's just an example there. So I, I stick to the chart in sure. front of me for the most part. Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of your, your entries, it's almost all breakouts. Are you doing any sort of, you know, pullbacks, knife catching, reversals, anything like I, that? I try to avoid the knife catching. Um, but I will <laughs> say um, if so, I, I do work full time and, um, you know, fortunately, I, you know, contribute to a retirement account, you know, the same amount every month. If you do work full time, it's it's hard to beat that. You know, um, I, I, if you have a set account that you're trading, gosh, if things are going down, you just want to get out of the way and let it settle. But if you if you have that constant flow of money in it, that's a really nice advantage. And over the long run, that uh, you know that's that's tough to beat. Um, but in terms of my trading account, no, I I try to stay away from that. I do buy pullbacks within uptrends. Um, like I said, I try to if if you've seen my charts that I post on Twitter, stock twits, it's usually around a horizontal level is where I like to uh, trade. But um, when I do buy pullbacks to former breakout areas. Um, I I don't just want to buy it because it's hitting that level. I'm going to make sure that it, it's starting to show some strength. So I'm trying to be, a, a, and I have been a little bit more patient. I'm not just going to buy it when it starts um, moving back to that area that I, I think should you know hold. I want to see it kind of stabilize there. And then that's where I might go into a shorter term, maybe a 30 minute chart or something. Look at that area and you know kind of just watch price closely. Now I can't do it all day long. But, you know, if I can check it in the morning, check it at lunch, that's usually good enough. Um, you know, maybe a couple times throughout the day just to kind of keep set, set alerts and things like that. You don't need to be watching it all the time. Um, sure. Which is, I think it, it can be an advantage sometimes too, because I know for myself personally, um, if I do watch it all the time, that's, you, you know, you're more likely to make those kind of impulse trades. You know, they feel great when they work out, but it's not a that's not a long-term sustainable strategy. Yeah. The market is just, it's that, it's just trying to lure you in at all times, right? As long if, if you stare at it, you're going to see a trade eventually. It doesn't take too yeah. hard, you know, it doesn't take too, too much convincing I, for us. I, uh, I have a, a thought on that too. Just um, made me think of something, but so when it's, when it's a, you know, when we get that pullback in there, I'll look at the, the shorter time frames, and I'm still almost looking to buy a breakout, but almost on the shorter time frames. So I, I'll either do, do that, just make sure it's kind of putting in a higher low on that shorter time frame, or uh, I, 
I, I sometimes use um, moving averages on like an hourly chart or half hour. And just to make myself be a little bit more patient, just kind of wait till they'll start crossing back up just to kind of confirm that, yes, price is respecting that former breakout area and price is starting to move up. And then I, the nice thing about, um, you know, buying those, those pullbacks is it, for me, it's easy to see exactly where the stop is. It's usually, it's, it, it's usually at a very obvious place, you know, just below the, you know, the swing low, the, the low of that candle, which might be a very tight stop. So, you know, you always run the risk of getting stopped out pretty quick with those versus kind of scaling more into a trending trade. But, uh, it's, you know, those small, small losses aren't going to kill you. Yeah. I mean, drilling down into like the smaller time frames and paying attention when it gets back into your, your areas of interest, so to speak, all while having a full-time job. I mean, what are the techniques or how are you sort of juggling, you know, when you're in a meeting or you have to, you know, kids need to be picked up or, or something needs to happen yet you have a trade that needs to happen or what are some of the ways you're, you're sort of making it work? One way I make it work is I know I'm, I'm going to miss a lot of trades. Um, I, I use mm. alerts. I'll, I'll, I'll have one thing I've done to help myself is instead of having a, like a, like I'll have a, you know, say 50 stocks on my watch list. Then I'll have like a kind of a focus list for the week where I maybe have, you know, five to 10 stocks that I might really buy these this week. Um, and I'll set alerts at the areas, but yeah, there's been times an alert will go off like, Hey, you know, XYZ stock broke above this area. Um, and I just won't be able to get to it. And then maybe I'll go to it later in the day. I'd like to do most of the trades that I plan out. You know, I like to do them mostly towards the close anyway, but yeah, I could have a meeting then too. And I miss it. And, you know, sometimes it's for the better and sometimes, you know, not. So I think it's just the, um, you just kind of have to get used to, you're not going to catch them all and you don't have to catch them all. You, you, you know, there's, there's always opportunities out there and the ones that you don't catch, maybe they'll come back to that spot you're watching anyway and you'll get it. So I think you just, you just need to let it go. Um, you know, there's tons of trades out there. I don't need to be watching a, a thousand stocks. I could pick ones I like and kind of, kind of go from there. Uh, I did have a, cause you, you did mention, uh, you know, we were talking about watching things constantly and I, this is something that, you know, that I would do if I used to have days off is you'd almost go into the market just looking for, for a trade. And I, I would do this with options too. Like, okay, I want to trade options in, in SPY today. Let, let me, let me find something to tr trade. And you're just watching it, looking for a trade. That's not how you're supposed to do it. It's supposed to come to you. Sometimes it takes me a long time to learn lessons, but I, I I've learned that one. But before you enter it, any trade, um, and I'm speaking to my to myself here. You know this darn well, but <laughs> just you know, just take a little pause. You say, okay, is this really is this really something I want to be entering? Is you know, what's my what's my risk if this goes wrong? Am I really going to sell when I'm saying I'm going to sell? And just kind of give that mental check. And I think the longer you do it, and the more you do it, kind of the easier that is, and you kind of know what your what your weaknesses are, and you can stop them ahead of time. Yeah, that's great advice, and I love the. I want to circle back because you. The way you you so quickly and convincingly sort of said that you know you're going to miss a lot of trades. That mindset right there, though, I mean, it sounds so subtle and a lot of people probably, you know, gloss right over that. But that quick sort of convincing mind check switch that you've made that you know you're going to miss some prevents you from from the anxiety, the the, the freaking out or, or doing other things. I mean, we're all human. 
everyone's going to make mistakes and, and feel the FOMO or whatever else at times. But that is you've you've clearly come to that sort of conclusion or, or um, you know, adjustment. So uh, good on you for that. And price alerts. So you mentioned you use those. I mean, I remember having my mind blown. This was like, you know, 10 years ago or something. The first time I sort of discovered price alerts on a on a charting platform. And I realized like, oh my God, I don't have to actually like stare at the, you know, at yeah. my Apple entry. Like I can actually leave and get a text, me- you know, message and email. Like that to me was so game changing to sort of, you know, and that's when I was doing things part-time as well. I had a full-time job. And I just remember being like, oh my God, like this is, this is so much better. It's nice. Yeah. You keep that in trouble too. Yeah. It won't, you know, you won't uh, feel like you need to get in the trade. You can kind of just wait for it to come to you. Any other techniques that you use or any other, you know, order types or anything else to sort of help you kind of automate or, or maximize some of your busyness? From time to time, and I and I don't want to keep this open more than a day, but if I'm looking at something that I really like and it just needs to, say it needs to move up like another 10 cents or 25 cents, it's really close to my buy area, but I just want to see it bump up a little bit. Like I might... I, I don't do it often, but maybe a buy stop. Um, and that's if I know if, you know, if I have meetings all day or, you know, some, some activities going on. Um, and I know that I really, really want to own this. Um, I've done my homework. I know where my stop's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. I'll use buy stops and I do use hard uh, sell stops, um, which, you know, can, can be, bad I'll, I'll try if i'm looking at something pre-market and say you know some announcement came out and it's i can t- you know i'm not always going to catch this either because maybe i won't be able to check pre-market or, or things like that uh, but if i do notice that I'll, I'll i'll take that off you know first thing in the morning and then just try to monitor it um as much as i can you know maybe the first five or ten minutes and then we put my stop under that low but that's another thing too you know i've if you use stops, especially hard stops, you're going to, you're going to get stopped out of trades and they're going to run without you. That, that happens. I mean, you just, I I think if you want to not get, you know, preserve your mental capital, just, you just have to just, just get over it. It's going to happen. And that gets easier with time too. Cause trust me, that's, (laughs) that's happened so many times. It's not a big deal. I'm like, okay, great. Now I have some, some funds freed up to look for the next opportunity. Will you actually, immediately re-enter if something, you know, if you just sort of get wicked down, it hits your stop loss, but then it puts in this, I don't know, beautiful high volume hammer. Like, are you, are you willing to go right back into it? Or, I mean, I guess technically that probably means it's pulled back enough. So you might be waiting for it to settle, but have you ever done anything yeah. like that? Or would you consider Absolutely. getting yeah. back and, in? And sometimes if I, if I do get stopped out on something is I'll, I'll, I'll just set that alert on it right away um, to alert mm. and do, you know, will I always take it? No, but I have. Um, it's good. It's good to do that. Maybe you, you know, maybe you have to pay a little bit more than you did. But you, I think sure. you just need to approach it as a as a brand new trade. You know, it's kind of the last one's kind of a sunk cost, so it's okay. Here's a new trade to set up. Let's go. Yeah, stops are interesting, and I've done, I've gone back and forth, and I've done a lot of testing. I used to do, you know, the stock has to close below a certain level, right? So it can't just be an intraday hard stop. It has to actually close the day below it. And that removes noise and it it can help, but obviously it can lead to some disastrous, you know, sort of situations where stock is is plummeting and then you're just sitting there saying, nope, I'm going to wait for the close. And, you know, it's 10% later and you're like, wow, that, you know, that was big. Um, so 
like you said, you kind of have to usually simple and, and, you know, the more straightforward is better and you have to sort of settle on it and just understand that this is markets, right? Like we have to sort of make do with what they give us, the good and the bad. And it's kind of the cost of doing business. You get stopped out sometimes. That's the truth. I always think selling's harder than buying, at least for me. I, when I go to buy something, I know I'm, I'm confident in my buy. I know exactly what I'm looking for. I know exactly where I don't want it anymore. But selling, there's never, there, there's not a perfect way to do it. You know, there's, you don't, you don't have the future information. So, you know, it could keep running without you. It could, could be a great sell. You just never know. So I feel like that's, that's probably one of the hardest things. Yeah. Uh, I, I 100% agree. So you have a, you have a quote on your, I think it was on your website or something I've heard you say before is that when you're putting on a trade, you're only entering into trades where you believe there's a, a sort of a favorable reward to risk ratio. How are you sort of quantifying the the reward? How are you how are you sort of thinking about where you might be selling on the way up and where that stop's going to be in relation to yeah, it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, that's almost easier on you know when you're not at all time highs and it's kind of like a swing trade. You know, maybe it gets back to a you know creeps around that previous high from a few weeks ago. Like, okay, that's a spot where I'll probably lighten up. So that's a little easier to qualify or quantify. I'm sorry, um, but a lot of the trades that I make, I, I like. I don't like looking at a chart and seeing any price action above it and to the left, you know. Um, so that is a little harder um, to quantify. Um, so I think in those situations that I, I think it's I'm more focused on on the risk, but knowing that it's in a, a strong uptrend and it needs to be breaking out of that consolidation. So it's if it's reasonable, you know, if my stop's only two three percent below my entry price and it's in a strong uptrend that's got to be a nice risk risk reward ratio. If not, I'll find out really quick and I'll be stopped out. But that that is harder to Mm -hmm. quantify for me because I, you know, I'll look at patterns and things like that, but I don't do, um, you know, price targets based off patterns. I might, I might look at that, um, you know, as a, to take profit. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I use kind of just like, like we talked about earlier, if it's trending, I'll keep, keep trying, try to keep riding with that trend. Although sometimes you'll get a little impatient and do that early sell. Um, but if it's for a gain, I mean, it's still, it's still a win, but you got to maximize those wins. Cause you don't, you know, I know I, I stop out of more trades than, uh, I win, but you know, you got to keep the wins bigger than the right. losses. Yeah. It's the, uh, it's the constant sort of tug of war. You gotta, you gotta put food on the table. You gotta, you gotta take profit sometime, right? You gotta totally sell. But, um, like you said, you, you're aware that you need to hang on to those, to those winners for dear life. So yeah, uh, selling is is tricky. It's a lifelong sort of uh, pursuit on on, and there's no perfection. That's you know that's that's the thing we all need to really quickly realize. It's like there's no, you know, there's no perfect selling method that's going to get you out. You're always going to leave some on the table, or you're going to you know overstay your welcome. Sure. Yeah, it's important not to kick you know not to beat up on yourself too when you sell when you sell too early because it's like well you had your reasons. It was a good trade. Um, you know, if you made money on it, like you don't want to. You don't want to dwell on what could have been uh, because that that doesn't do you any good right now. I mean, along those same lines, I mean, so we are recording this May 2021 and it has been choppy out there. It has been pretty tough for breakouts on unless you're really kind of narrowed in on, you know, maybe energy and utilities and, and some other things that that are working recently. 
do you, how do you, how, you know, how do you preserve sort of confidence during this time? If you're getting stopped out, are you someone that likes to sort of then reduce position size? Or are you just getting right back up to bat and saying, you know, got to keep swinging because I know the good times are coming. Any tips on sort of getting through those tough times? Yeah, I, I, I think I'm more of a keep swinging. Um, but, you know, I'm, I think you can do it two ways. I think you can go with smaller size and maybe loosen up on your on your stops a little bit and give them more time to work. Um, but I, I'm getting a little bit more focused on my, my entries and a little bit more selective in what I'm entering. Um, like you, you said, a lot of these, you know, growth kind of more exciting tech names, they just haven't been, uh, as a whole, you know, there's obviously ones that are bucking the trend, but it's, it's more of the bank stocks. And, uh, I've, I've owned quite a few housing stocks. Those have been strong. So I think, being more selective um, there and for me, just making sure my entry is as spot on as possible. And I think by having a good entry criteria, like not buying, you know, catching a falling knife, like if I'm looking at a entering a stock, I want to make sure, and you know, I don't, I'm not one that's, you know, diehard, like moving averages, support resistance. I know some people use them for support resistance, some don't, but I think for me, it's a good visual. If I just, you know, we'll look at, I want to look at a chart without any indicators, first of all, just to make sure. I like what I see. And then, you know, if I'm entering it or I'm in it, maybe just check, you know, the 50 day, 20 day. Um, and if, if those are all going up and prices above them, I think that increases your odds of, you know, having a winner. It's nothing is guaranteed, obviously. I'm more keep swinging, uh, reduce size a little bit, but I don't want to reduce size too much because I like to take a little profit early. So if you, if you have such a small size, it's like, oh, I don't want to take a 5% profit on that position. It's like nothing. Um, that shouldn't matter, but it does. Um, so I think, I, you know, I got to find that kind of that sweet spot. It's different for everybody. Um, so a little bit smaller size and just make sure what you're entering, make sure you've thought it through and the chart looks good and you're trading with the the trend within your time frame. Do you think you could fully sort of systematize, automate, hundred percent of what you do? Do you think you could completely remove Greg from the equation and just, you know, new 20 day breakout, I'm buying 5% up, I'm selling some below the, tw- you know, something like that. Do you think you could, you could do that or? Probably. Or Yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think probably for the most part. Um, and if I, if I did that, it'd probably <laughs> do a lot better than me, you know, cause it would remove that, that emotion. Um, but I think it's hard to, you know, it probably would be better, but I think it's hard to just say, okay, 5% up, I'm going to sell some because, wow, maybe, maybe something happened to get it up 5%. Maybe there's a huge volume update and it's just going to keep on running. Um, but that's a really, that's a really interesting question, but I would, I, I, yeah, I think, I think probably, you know, my, my belief on, on this, I mean, generally speaking is, if you're a if, if you are a very disciplined sort of discretionary trader i do think like you said in that example there real time interpretation of sort of what's going on and being able to understand like factors that that you know maybe a basic rules based system like doesn't necessarily understand covid for instance i mean that's an extreme example but if you could have some situ- situational awareness as a discretionary trader i think you could definitely maximize things. It's, it's just a matter of 
it, it's the other side. It's the, it's the, it's the emotions. It's, it, it's right up here, right? It's, it's the self-sabotage. It's the chasing. It's all those things where that discretionary trader could then lose that side of things. So yeah, I, I think it's a hard question. And yeah, I, I'm always curious to just kind of hear how people think about it. And, um, are there any, any new ideas or sort of research that you've incorporated into your trading over the past, I don't know, 12 to 24 months, anything more recently that you're suddenly saying like, oh, I'm, I'm either giving more weight to this or something new, a new tool, a new indicator that I'm using, or is it kind of building on, on the foundation that you've had for the past decades? Yeah. I mean, I try to look at new indicators and tools a lot, but I think it's mostly for me just kind of finding that sweet spot position sizing um, and kind of right sizing that and just being stop, stop entering things, just to enter them, just be more selective. Um, so that's not really any, you know, cool or exciting indicators, but I think it's just, this is just such a mental, mental game and you don't, you know, you don't need to be in every trade. You don't need to watch thousands of stocks. If you if you do and you find the right ones, that's that's great. But for me, I'm not going to do that. Um, so I think I, I have looked at more of. So I like to look at weekly charts for ideas. I like to start there, and then kind of mm -hmm. zoom in. But I have kind of, like I mentioned before, try to get you know look at like intraday charts even to find the ideal. Um, entry area. That's something I didn't used to do. Um, so a little bit, little bit tighter stops and a little bit larger position size for me over the last couple of years, I've been working that way because I think for me, the larger position size, it kind of makes you focus on the trade a little bit more and just, you know, evaluate if this is a trade you're going to take versus if you're just buying a, you know, a small position and like, Oh, who cares if the risk war ratio is way off? It's just a tiny position. We'll see if it works. Like it's not gambling. Sure. Like I think the larger size kind of makes me focus a little bit more. And then I have less things to focus on because I'm not going to own as many stocks. So do you have a, a sort of review process? Like what leads you to those conclusions? Are you, are you journaling? Are you, are you tracking your trades often and sort of thinking about, oh, I left money on the table or, oh, this position size should have been bigger. Or are you kind of just intuition as you've been moving along thinking about I think journaling is really helpful, um, but I can't say that I'm a disciplined uh, journaler. Um, I, I kind of start it and then I'll skip a, you know, a few days or weeks. I'll kind of go back to it. So I think I could probably, I probably could have sped up my um, learning process and coming to these conclusions a lot more by being more disciplined with that. So um, something to continue to work on. Um, but then just going into the, you know, the trading account, looking at, you know, running all your realized gains and losses and kind of looking at those trades. And that's how I came to, came to, came to the conclusion that my size was too small because I'm taking half off the table for, I was leaving too much on the table and my gains to start with were too small because my position size was too small. Um, so I think there's just, you know, that's going to be probably a little bit different for, for everybody. But for me, I think you need some kind of trade review process. Like I said, I'm not the most disciplined journaler, um, but I think you need something in that respect. Or another thing, if you trade off the charts too, is that, you know, if you, if you sell something or buy something, just save that in a separate watch list, that chart, what, what, what did you look for? Why'd you, why'd you sell it? Why'd you mm -hmm. buy it? And then if you have some free time, you don't have to do it every day, maybe, you know, once a month, just kind of click through those and kind of, you know, maybe write down some of your thoughts that you had. It doesn't have to be 
a book, but you know, just some general thoughts and you can kind of learn a lot about yourself that way. Yeah, I totally agree. It, journaling is hard and, and to journal correctly is hard because it takes it takes work and it takes discipline and it takes a lot of extra time. Shout out to Edgewonk, E-D-G-E-W-O-N-K. I'll put a link in the show notes. I've got no affiliation with them, but they have a very powerful journal for traders and to do that thing right, I mean, especially if you're an active trader, I mean, you're you're going to spend, you know, an hour a day or more if you've got a lot to put in there. But it's it's critical. I mean, it, it'll it'll show you the you know it'll it'll show you some of the blind spots and and some of the you know gaps perhaps. So yeah, review process. I but I'm 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 100 with you. I, I you know start of the new month we're journaling this yeah. month and, you know, two weeks in and then it's like, uh, you know, yeah, kind of forgot about journaling. So. The, the good thing about it is it makes you really think before you, th- this sounds so lazy, don't mm. get me wrong, but like, man, if I'm going to buy this, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to journal it. So I really, I really better want it. <laughs> <laughs> that That's a good terrible, hack I've never it? heard before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so funny. So what does what does successful trading look like to you now? And it's a big question, but you're, you know, sort of working that full-time job. You are trading on the side and you're almost working two full-time jobs as far as I'm concerned. It's not just trading on the side. You're 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 full in this. So what does what does successful trading look like for you? For me, it looks like consi- more consistency, a smooth equity curve. I don't, I don't want to have, you know, a big ups. Well, I do want to have big ups, <laughs> but I don't want to have big ups followed by big downs. I want to have a nice smooth, um, equity curve and I, I want to continue to find ways to get there. I always think trading, I, I used to, I still play a little bit of golf, but I used to play a lot of golf. It's, and I think I like it because it's a lot like golf. It's, it's you, you know, it's, it's just you versus you. You're playing on the course. That's the market. And, you know, if you hit a bad shot in the woods, you can either, you know, try to be a hero and end up getting a a 10 on the hole or just chip it out, get your bogey and then move on. And you still have a chance to put in a good score. So trading is a lot like that. And then you have to deal with, you know, if you play golf, if you hit a drive right down the middle, it could end up in a in a in a divot. And it's like you did everything right and you still kind of got screwed here. But that happens in trading, too. So it's like you just have to minimize the mistakes that you can and then get over, um, you know, if you, if you have losses or something turns against you, you can buy it, buy a stock and there's some surprise announcement that comes out and you all of a sudden have a 10 or 15% loss or worse. So, you know, it's going to happen. So you just need to, to deal with it and get over with, but yes, my ideal trading is not to make any of those tens on a whole for golf. Don't do anything stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, think about it, you know, just, worry less about the returns. And I I said, I wanted the smooth equity curve, but that's kind of, that comes after the process. So focus more on the process first. You know, I, I know what works for me and it's nothing complicated. Just, you know, buy kind of buy what's working at spots where I know if it's not working, I'm going to get out. Um, uh, and position size, correct. And, uh, take gains when they're available for off your position. So it's just, it just, I know what I need to do. It's just focus on the process and just do that. And don't do those impulse trades. Don't do those stupid, hey, I'm going to take my stop off. This one's coming back. Just just be disciplined. Um, 
and then the results will follow. So that's I'm kind of just worried about following my process, and then and I know the results will follow. Yeah, well said. Yeah, that that's that's a great that's a great north star for sure. So, anything else? Um, we didn't get to talk about today. Anything else on your mind? We're going to look at some charts in just a moment, but anything that we may have missed from your process or anything you think that is important? Yeah, I don't think so. I think, you know, I, a lot of people that trade full time and or that don't, I'm sorry, that work full time that are into the markets, I feel like they think, Hey, if I could just look at the markets all day, I could do this for a living and, and trade for a living. And, um, which, which may be true, but I feel like with the technology we have now, like we talked about alerts and, you know, I feel like you can stay pretty active in the markets and have success without being glued to the screen all the time and still have time for a full-time job or other responsibilities that life brings. Yeah, well said. I mean, I am a firm, firm believer that um, we, we ought to automate more, just get away from the screens a little bit more to, in fact, improve our process and... Yeah, I just seen it time and time again. I mean, unless, you know, if your jam is day trading and you got to be at the screens, like I, I get yeah. it. Um, but for 90% of us traders that aren't attacking that type of speed, I, I, I'm not convinced that more screen time is, is you know, more helpful. Maybe in the beginning to, you know, get your knowledge up and get your experience, understand how markets flow and work and structure. But after a certain point, I think it's almost like, Let's, 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 re, you know, get to that bare minimum. So I'm, I'm full on board with you there. Uh, so yeah, thank, thanks for taking the time today, Greg. This was great. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work, stay on top of what you're up to? Sure. I'm on Twitter and Slack Twits. It's G underscore Krupins, K-R-U-P-I-N-S. And I have a uh, website as well as a gktrading.net. Uh, I will say I don't uh, update my website that frequently, but sometimes I'll, I'll post some videos. And if I want to you know, talk about something that's a little bit more than a, than a tweet bull. I'll, I'll, I'll post it out there. I'll, I'll try to be better with updating it. I used to be <laughs> better than I have been lately, but it's out there. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, totally. And we'll put those links in the show notes for this episode. So for all of you listening to this as a podcast in audio only, be sure to visit this YouTube channel for this episode. Cause Greg and I are going to look at some charts now, take a look at his process a little bit more. So you want to make sure you tune in and catch that. That's it folks. Thanks, Greg, for taking the time. This was great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Smarter Trading. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For all of the show notes, links, and call-outs, head on over to thetraderisk.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Smarter Trading is hosted by me, Evan Medeiros, and produced by Ashton Alexander. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you in the next episode.